street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Hello, welcome to Epistemic, episode number 13. Today, we're going to be uh, talking with Dan Simpson. What's up, Dan? How's it going? Oh, what's up, y'all? It's uh, good to be here. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Sure. Nice to have you here. Yeah, we also have Anthony Magnobosco with us. Hey, guys. What's up? Good to be here. And another Dan, Daniel. What's up, Dan? Yeah, you still haven't gotten rid of me yet, so good to be here. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so, what's up, you guys? How's it been going? Uh, it's been going good. I th- I think we agreed before the show that we were going to call Dan Simpson Dan and Daniel Daniel. So, uh, for the listeners uh, hearing this broadcast, uh, that's kind of what we're going to try to do. Um, yeah. But no, it's been going good, man. Um, Reed, you and I were just in Nashville for NanoCon. How'd you like it? Were. It was really fun. I loved it. It's the first time actually helping out with uh, pr- promoting SE in any like official capacity, I guess. That's so right. Just... We had a table there. We had uh, a monitor running videos. We had uh, shirts and magnets and business cards, stickers, and probably five volunteers that agreed to just stand around the table and answer any questions that they had about SE, which was, oh, there we go. We got a picture of it. Yeah, here's my here's the table we had. Look at that. Had a bunch of and there's Reed's, there's Reed's uh, interview with Tia. Yeah. yeah and what was so really bizarre. cool about this is uh, we had these headphones so people could listen uh, while those videos were playing. And we also had, oh, there we are. Ah. And yeah. yeah, please ask us. That was our little table runner uh, that we had going. Um, yeah, and it's so funny watching people uh, watch me. And then some yeah. people didn't realize I was there and they would just kind of recognize me. Yeah. Um, they're like, wait a second. You're that guy in the video, aren't you? Yeah. That was funny. And that was cool. And then somebody said, um, did, did she ever get back to him? And I said, well, why don't you just, you know, you can ask him. He's right over there. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if he came up to you or not, but yeah, it was neat. It was neat seeing people watch the videos and we were giving out little bags and shirts and stuff. And, what was cool is like the response to SE was extremely positive. So many people from, you know, attendees to speakers to influencers in atheism were extremely uh, talkative and supportive of SE. Yeah. Tell, tell them what happened at your second uh, workshop. Oh yeah. So I gave two workshops. They were 15 minutes long. The first one went off. You were, I think in the first one, it went good, um, but there just wasn't time for question and answer session, I don't think. The second one, I was getting ready to start it. Oh, no, it was interesting. I don't know. You Did you see Matt walk into the first? He, he was there at the first. Into the first one. Like halfway through the first one, yeah, he walked in. Okay, so he did, he thought that the, the role play session, when people were talking to each other and the room was really loud, he thought that that was just the group waiting, waiting for the, the workshop to start. He didn't realize mm-hmm. that he was interrupting the workshop. So he apologized. <laughs> He's like, I want to introduce you to to the next workshop that you give. I'm like, oh, well, that's nice. You can certainly do that. So we finished the first one. And then, yeah, before the second one started, Matt Dillahunty came in to 
introduced me. I didn't even ask for it. And he sat down and introduced himself and said that he's a big fan of of street epistemology and he thinks that it might be the best, I'm paraphrasing here, maybe quoting, I don't know, I didn't record it, but it was something along the lines of, um, he thinks that street epistemology might very well be the best way to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody about a deeply held belief. And it was, it was just such a great endorsement for street epistemology and he said some wonderful words about, about myself too. And then, yeah, so we had two great workshops. The feedback was awesome. Wow. Yeah. And then you guys uh, had like a little short talk together on a stage as well. That was good. Yeah. We did a one hour panel to talk about the different tactics. And it was kind of, what was kind of interesting about that a little bit behind the scenes is we learned about a week before that, that we were going to be sitting down doing a panel and they kind of left it up to us to come up with the, the questions and the direction. And I was asking Matt, like, how are we doing this? Well, it wasn't really until the day before that I decided to come up with some questions, ran it by him. You know, he's like, yeah, it looks good. And then next thing I knew we were on the stage and we were talking about it, but I think it went good. We covered a lot of different topics. He ended up talking about um, the, how he got interested in the show, his show, and um, how he tried using the Socratic method with callers. And he tried an aggressive approach with his mom and his it was really a neat talk. Uh, it went on for like an hour, and I think that was pretty w warmly received as well. Yeah, it was really great. I know it was recorded um, officially, but I also did a, a, a live stream that you can find in the Facebook study group if you want to watch yeah, it. Yeah, there's a live stream from Facebook in there, and I, I don't know what kind of camera they used or if they used the mic. I, hopefully the audio is good on that, and hopefully they post it pretty soon. Yeah. And uh, yeah, any other highlights from, from the con? So many highlights. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I think I'm going to make a, a post about it on my Facebook page. And it was just great. Like, just there were just so many things. I, 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 don't, I, guess I don't want to get too much into it, but it was extremely positive. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the next one that we have coming up. Yeah, and that's uh, at American Atheists in like two weeks. Yeah. End of the month. Spend time at the end talking about that one. Yeah. And before NanoCon, you were in Los Angeles for like a week or so. I was. And, uh, I had to go out there for some family reasons. And you had told me about a speaking event between Sam Harris and Steven Pinker. So I got tickets. Yeah. And we uh, went, went there and saw that. Mm -hmm. That was really great. Yeah. And I, I noticed uh, you scurrying up to the microphone. You're the first in line to ask a question. I was, yeah. And I have like a, uh, a quick clip if you want to watch it. You guys want to watch I'll it? I'll explain what happened here. But, they actually contain yeah. a question. <laughs> and if you, you can't manage that, just end on a high rising tone and we'll pull. We'll, 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 what practical advice would either of you have for improving the go. quality of conversation between two people who found themselves across an ideological divide? He does a little fist pump at the end. Yeah, there are some like, I, I'm not just super happy. I, I got to ask a question to Sam Harris and Steven Pinker. I was, but that's not why I, I made that gesture. Like um, there were some audio issues where they couldn't hear people asking questions at first. And I had, I was the first person to attempt to ask a question 
they couldn't hear it. So they went to another person, they couldn't hear that person. And then they went back to me and I got to ask that question and they, they heard. So that's my gesture. <laughs> like, yes, but they, they edited it. out that part. So yeah. it looks like you asked the first question and then <laughs> gave a little like fist bump. Like I asked a great question. Yeah, that's a that's really great. Thanks, editors of the. Uh, it was. It was, it was great. <laughs> I hope somebody takes that clip and like makes rainbows coming out of your fist or something, or just do something crazy with it. Yeah, um, but I think Sam's answer was about you know being able to repeat back you know your the position of your interlocutor accurately. So that was a, a big part, which I'm sure we're all very familiar with. I would. I mean, I would love for Sam Harris or people like him to say streetepistemology.com. Like that's the place to go yeah. if you want to. Yeah. Cause the, his response was basically saying, try to understand the person as best you can so that you can steel man their position and be on the same page, which is a major tenant. It's a major component of SE. It's one of many. So he was just scratching the surface on his response. Um, I don't blame him for not going further. He's, he's, you know, he's got an audience full of people, but yeah, I mean, someday soon, I think we'll break through the noise and, and a, and a pat response would be, yeah, you, you need to check out this SE stuff. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, cool. So besides, yeah, besides that, that was a really fun event and so what's up next in our show notes here. Oh yeah. We'll just get to to dan so dan how's it going uh, it's going especially well thank you so much for having me here uh you guys doing okay doing great yeah, man great. so good to have you here so and we were we were actually background. we were actually on i think both reed and i well now that i think about it, it, me. it <laughs> all three of us have been on dan's show yeah <laughs> I'll my strategy to get on the show <laughs> well it worked <laughs> Honestly, I think we'd have you. We'd probably have you on anyways, dude, because you, you've been periscoping, you've been promoting SE for a year and a half, two years, maybe. I mean, uh, when I when I hear your name, I think of SE. So, uh, yeah, I, I just it's sort of a no brainer that we should have you on. So it's really nice to have you here. Well, cool. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I just got uh, a little YouTube channel going. It's called What's Your Method with I. Dan Simpson, and that's definitely a shout-out to uh, street epistemology and uh, studying the method behind people's beliefs. Uh, so I've been doing that, and like you mentioned, I've been on Periscope as well, having uh, the same kinds of conversations uh, on Periscope. I sort of looked at it as being a practice opportunity, but um, I quickly found out that there's real ground to be made. So, yeah, I, I've been having a good time. Mm. Cool. I think doing SE on Periscope would be really hard to do. It's got its challenges, but it also has its advantages, and that's that's actually uh, I think a good lead into sort of the uh, the topic of today's show, which is sort of talking about uh, streaming your videos. Um, mm. I think there are advantages because uh, at the end of the day, you could have a you could have a, a, an actual live stream of that video, uh, but also you got replay videos, uh, re replay viewers that uh, you could reach as well. Um, it, yeah. it goes beyond just having that one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking in terms of like the technical challenge that, uh, I don't know, like you're not seeing the person's face. Yeah. And then sometimes two minutes will go by before they respond. Like, are they really thinking about it or are they like on, on the toilet or something, you know? 
Um, or maybe on the toilet thinking about it. But yeah, I just it's maybe a little bit more difficult because you don't have that visual component. Um, yeah, I don't I think I've ever tried it. I think I did Periscope and SE before, but it was when it was when I was watching, I was observing somebody making a claim and I was texting and asking questions and kind of trying it that way. But you were, you do the reverse of it. Um, I did a little bit of both actually, but when I got started doing SE, I was really excited about it. So I was getting into people's uh, chat rooms and, and trying to question them, but that's actually much harder than actually just starting your own channel, starting your own Periscope and uh, mm -hmm. just sort of, uh, I would sort of describe it as like, Casting the rod out and uh, hopefully catching a fish that you uh, that you can sort of uh, interview. Um, mm -hmm. I w was able to have some interesting interviews. Uh, I, I got this one guy. He was from Chicago. Right when I got started doing SE, he, he was like a young preacher guy, and he was just sort of just sort of getting going with uh, with the whole preaching thing. You, you could tell he was just sort of practicing his thing. He was just practicing how he would go do his thing if he if he ever got the job. He, I don't think he was a preacher. I didn't think he have a, he had a job, but he was wanting to have a job. Uh, and I asked him his confidence. He said 80%. I'm remembering this very clearly right now, which is crazy. I don't remember anything. So he said 80%. And I asked him, you know, you know, well, uh, you know, what's going on? Why, why aren't you a preacher yet? And he goes, well, you know, my, uh, my friend, my friend of mine that uh, is sort of counseling me and showing me the ways he, he already is a preacher. He says I should be a hundred percent before I go. I'm like, well, what's keeping you from being there? And that's where the conversation gets a little fuzzy. But, um, that was one of the rare instances I thought, because at one point, this one, this guy's like, man, like, you are blowing my mind right now with these questions. That's just, <laughs> nice. I see to have that. But um, I never saw him again, but I could, I could tell I had an effect. That was an interesting chat. Mm. Um, but that was one of the only times I'd actually seemed to have an effect when I was in the chat room, just sort of typing my, my answer. Mm. Mm -hmm. but more success uh, starting a Periscope, uh, sort of casting that rod and, uh, and then going from there. Yeah, being in the chat, you're just in a sea of other chatters. There's so many other people, and it's just hard to keep track. Mm. The only way that that conversation worked specifically was because I was pretty much alone. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so if you had like 40 people watching you. Oh, I'm, I mean, okay, I see what you're saying. He was broadcasting. You were texting him. There were two viewers, and the other one was just silent watching. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah it's kind of timing, too. Like if it's 3 in the morning, and there's only a couple of viewers you can make some good headway. But if there's 50 viewers, forget it. Your questions will get lost, will get intentionally skipped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, do, I did a little live streaming using Periscope, but I would use it to complement the GoPro um, thing. And the reason why I started doing that is because I wanted to show... I'm trying to think now, Daniel, if... You did I, it with me. Yeah. Did I live stream with you? Yes, you did. Yeah, I, I, was, I was watching that live, I think. No I shit. Wow. Daniel or Dan, what were you doing? Were you watching it too? I, I can't I can't say that I was watching it live. Yeah. I wish I could and that would have been really cool. Hey guys, hey guys, I'll say and we'll all just celebrate. Hey guys, I watched it live too. Oh my gosh. There we go. Boom. Yeah. Really me extra nervous when you said that it was live. I was like, oh shoot. Okay. See, that, I, you could have been a big deal and I wouldn't have known. So you know, hundred thousand. Yeah, well, some people don't even know what live streaming is and they're like, Yeah, okay, sure. And some people get it. They're like, Oh, there's how many people are watching us live? There's eighty. Oh, uh, no, nah, I don't want to interview you. I don't want to do an interview. So yeah, doing the live stream, I think, makes it a little bit more challenging to get people to agree if they understand, you know, what what's at stake there. But um, how how different do you think your answers would have been, Daniel, um, if you're uh, if you didn't know it was live stream? Do you think it would have been different? 
Have I? I think, it, yeah, I think it would have, honestly. Uh, I think I've talked about this before, but when I gave my answers that day, I did feel a small amount of pressure just to give an answer that I feel like people from my college ministry would have wanted to hear. Um, so, like, I said things like I was 100% confident in God, which, like, was not true about myself anyway. But, you know, that's something that you're kind of taught to have, you know, kind of like your preacher friend, Dan, um, he has to have that 100% before he's allowed to do his thing. You know, there are consequences for not being in the place that you should be. And so, yeah, I, I think that there is a difference there for sure. At least it was for me. Cool. See, that might be one of the advantages of Dan's. I know, Dan, you're, tra you're, you're trans transitioning to YouTube, but if you are on Periscope and there's 40 people watching and you're you're doing an interview of one of those 40, that person is fairly anonymous. Uh, I mean, I guess you could like go over to their Twitter and that type of thing, but it's not like they're on the video. They're not the one under the microscope. They're a little bit safer in that regard. You know, so that that could be somewhat advantageous. I, I see that as, that it possibly is a pro uh, with that with that setup. I think it has its pros and 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 its cons. You know, I'm I'm looking at this and every single thing that I seem to look at, uh, which seems to be uh, maybe you look at it uh, and at face value, it looks like a con of using a specific platform. Like, oh, that that's not good because you can't do that. But on the flip side, there always seems to be like an opposite where there is a pro. So like, I love. Uh, I love the idea, just number one, of, of just streaming and streaming the videos and having people be able to watch. Because what that does is that introduces a, a new factor, as, as sort of we've been touching on, which is the audience. There's people watching. Some yeah. people are watching live. And that's even, I don't know, maybe even like another level of uh, maybe stress for everyone involved. Um, uh, and then sometimes also we're just sort of talking about replay viewers. So there's a lot to be gained, I think, from these kinds of chats because we're just able to, to have other people who watch. I often think about, you know, what would street epistemology be like if it came out 50 years ago? You know, we, we wouldn't really have, we wouldn't be able to see those examples. I wonder how, if it would spread, if it would. Um, and I often wonder uh, what the critics would say if they would have anything to say about it. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of spinning here already with my thought process. <laughs> no, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I just, um, what was I trying to get at here? Uh, what I'm trying to say is there are pros and cons to every single platform. And I think one of the pros, uh, one of the cons of using Periscope is that, yeah, it removes a ton of, I call it humanity. You know, like if you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation in face, there's, there's all that humanity. You see the person that you're talking to. You see their body language. You see, um, you know, everything. You see everything, right? Um, for me on Periscope, just like you mentioned, I ask a question. I have no idea what they're doing. I don't know if they get if I, if I get one of these. <laughs> I don't get that satisfaction, and I feel really ripped off. Mm. But uh, no, no. Mm. But uh, that's the thing. There are a lot of cons, and I'm sorry, I got a train going past my apartment. I live in the the most noisy apartment ever. It's, I'm almost impressed. But uh, the deal is like there are pros as well. So I think some of the pros of using something like Periscope, um, well, let's let's back up. Let's think about using the, uh, the pros of using something like YouTube, where mostly people who are watching are replay viewers. I, that's mostly mm -hmm. the case, although mm -hmm. increasingly these days live, which is interesting too. Um, so the replay viewers, they can get something from the conversation that perhaps your interlocutor, which I think I, I looked it up, that's how you say it, interlocutor. Uh, the interlocutor, maybe you might not be getting something out of the conversation, but there could be hundreds 
uh, of people who are watching, thousands, depending on your video, depending on your, on your reach, thousands of people that you could that are watching, mm. whose minds you could be in influencing and helping them to reach more reliable beliefs. So you know, it just occurred to me that um, comparing the YouTube platform to Periscope is that one thing that helped me grow was seeing all the comments on the videos from people. And I don't, other than the live stream comments that you get, if, if most people are watching your stuff on a replay, unless they tweet at you, you're probably not going to get that feedback, right? No, exactly right. And so that's exactly where the difference, the biggest, one of the biggest differences other than you know, on YouTube, I'll be able to have like a hangout and I'll be able to see more of their face. And I'm looking forward to being able to have a uh, video and the technology to be able to handle video where both of our faces are on the screen the entire time where it's not switching off. I have some technical limitations, which I think eventually I'll get over. I take some mm -hmm. time. But uh, obviously, those are the biggest differences other than, like you mentioned, the, the commenting on YouTube. You have to wait to see those comments. On Periscope, uh, one of the biggest advantages, which is a disadvantage, is the is the audience because you can have 50 people in the chat room and you're trying to interview one person and it can get really hard really fast if you get a lot of people in the chat room it could be hard to just literally see the comments before they fly away um but so that's the, one of the disadvantages another disadvantage of using periscope is that the people who are watching they're like trying to engage the person that you're interviewing like oh that's stupid and then they start yeah or they ask another question like, and then the person sort of follows that question. So I do really try my best to tell the, my interlocutor, just ignore everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The more well, it's hard, it's hard to ignore a comment that says, look at how stupid that person is. So I try to yes. I also try my best to keep the, keep the crowd under control. It's, it's like a circus when you're doing one of these things. Sometimes I feel like a <laughs> ringleader. I'm holding like one of those chairs to the lion's mouth while also trying to get one person to just think deeply about one of their beliefs. It's it's nuts. It's really fun. Mm. Yeah. Listen, all this makes me think of Blab. Like it, at this point, we're just trying to replicate Blab as best we can because that was just the best of all possible. Blab was good. We should explain what Blab is. Yeah, yeah. It so was basically okay, a four four person video chat. Um, and it, those chats were publicly available. Um, you had like blab.io or something, and you could see all the available chats that were going, and you could join them, and you could just watch people talking in the four quadrants, or up to four. It could be just one or two or three. And then there's also a sidebar chat that people could just chat while they're watching so it's, it's the best of all what and you can you can be you can request to join the four people to be one of the four talking on video right. yeah, you can invite yourself or ask for in, in people to join but yeah, yeah what's neat about blab is you can see the people that were in the blab reading the comments and then getting distracted they'd stop talking to you read and i'd start looking at the comments and and actually talking about the person who was leaving comments who wasn't even in the video chat yeah, but uh, but I think we're getting there. Uh, I think YouTube is pretty much the second best thing um, now. Weren't you experimenting given... with something, Reed, um, with Instagram and Facebook and yeah, YouTube? Yeah, did you guys try something out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, both those platforms now hold the ability to do sort of what I was talking about, where both screens, both people are up on the screen simultaneously the whole time. Both platforms now have the ability to do that. And was there like a live chat as well going on? I think so, yeah. It was pretty impressive.
I, but they both rolled it out pretty impressively. So if you, if you don't mind, I'm just going to sort of reel this back a little bit, um, if you don't mind. So Go ahead. one of the coolest things about these platforms, and all these platforms now are coming out with this, two more platforms just came out, I think, in the past two weeks or so, uh, the Facebook and the Instagram. Very impressive uh, as well. I, I really like the interface. It was cool. But uh, so, the, again, the cons are you, you can get a lot of people in the chat, and it can be distracting. If you are successfully able to get your interlocutor to focus on you, it can be actually amazing having the people in the chat because as i was getting started i was really nervous and i could watch back to my videos and see that and i could smell it from a mile away how nervous i was to have these chats but actually there are other people who are interested in street epistemology epistemology apparently is how i say it now where they were watching as well and they sort of understood the the questioning and the, uh, the the method, and so they were able. As I maybe if if I was sort of drawing a blank, I got a ton of great questions that I just literally picked and stole from the chat. And I go, oh, you know what? This person's got a great question. What do you think about this? And that could actually help me to have more effective street epistemology conversations. I oh, found that to be the case uh, on a number of times, probably countless times, if I were to look back. And it's still that way. As I'm still having these conversations, I'm I'm still not perfect i'm not like i'm not like snappy in the moment as as in the moment as i want to be um uh but uh that's the cool part someone could be there and they could sort of have your back in that sense kind of like crowdsourced that's cool it's sort of crowdsourced se i've observed people who are familiar with se like if i would watch a replay of one of my live streams i think i noticed that they're more they were if somebody was behaving like they didn't under understand se they would explain it to them as the conversation was happening and i was completely oblivious to it i was just having my dialogue and they were watching it but they were they were cluing in the other person why i wasn't arguing with them or presenting them with facts so it was neat to have like have somebody watch your back it was really cool and that reminds me, I had that a lot too. And in that way, I would be chatting with one person, someone else would come and, why aren't you talking to me? And I would have someone else go, oh, you know, this is what Dan's doing. He's doing this and this. Oh, why is Dan doing this? Oh, he's not really doing that. He's actually doing this. Oh, okay. And sort yeah. of actually helped. In Hell yeah. So pros and cons. Okay, so let me tell you, I think, what the uh, the, ne the next thing that, uh, that presents challenges if you're doing these types of videos I'm sorry, I got a cop going past my window. When you're doing these types of videos um, where someone is forced to reply in a certain way, there will always be pros and cons. Face-to-face, -face, I think, is ideal in a lot of ways. But for me, it wasn't ideal as I was learning the method because I actually thought, I actually sort of felt like having a little bit of distance, a little bit of anonymity, uh, a little bit of distance there sort of helped me to sort of just think about the method and it wasn't as personal. Um, so face-to-face -face is best. Uh, if you can get the cameras going, where you get uh, them going, you can see both people at the same time. I think that's next best in that, in that sense where there's all that humanity. There's, all, there's a lot to be gained from uh, uh, seeing each other the whole time. Uh, after that, you know, sort of hangouts where it goes back and forth. And then after that, the next best is where one person's on camera and one person's replying. So when we get to that time, that place where someone's typing their replies, there are some platforms where people can type as much as they like. And I actually, I think that has its pros and its cons, but I prefer when we have the IL, they're forced to be concise. So I think the two, the two, two platforms that are best for that are Periscope, and that's probably the best one. 
and Twitter's the second best. Twitter's not as good these days because they increase the character limit, and there's all these threads, so people pretty much just write mm. an entire blog. So yeah, yeah, that is that is kind of a con of real life. People can just keep going on and on and on and not be concise at all. But online. so would that be your advice then, Dan? Like, if somebody was new to street epistemology and they've let's say they've read the book, they've watched videos, they've read the SE guide, they've downloaded the app, they've joined one of the Facebook groups. And yeah. they may, maybe even have done some role play uh, yeah. with with like a friendly, you know, somebody who is training them or something. Starting off like on Periscope or some sort of live stream service is your advice. Um, I liked Periscope, and again, one of the uh, one of the reasons that we haven't even touched on yet is the wide pool of potential people that you could talk to. Um, and each platform has its advantages and disadvantages as well. Blab, when it was live, was arguably a better platform to have the kinds of conversations, but there weren't as many people on Blab. Yeah. You just had Darth Dawkins show up every time. And you're like, Darth, come on, man. Uh, so uh, each platform has its differences. Pl uh, Periscope actually used to be better. I thought that, I think when it came out, it actually used to be more popular. I could be mistaken about that, but that, that seemed to be the case. They have more competition now. I think you're right about that. So. YouTube, Facebook. Yeah. Um, so where was I going with this? Uh, I always lose my train of thought. You guys, I get so excited about street epistemology. Well, I think we were talking about for somebody, would you advise people who wanted to start doing this uh, use something like Periscope? Or did you already address that? I don't know. It depends sort of how, how brave you are. Like, I felt like it took some bravery for me to just sort of go out and do it, especially since I hadn't had a lot of uh, practice time. I just, I just wanted to go out and learn the method and, and one day be as good as Anthony. Um, so I really liked Periscope because it allowed me to have a lot of different conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think there are few other platforms uh, other than in real life, putting yourself in a place where there's lots of foot traffic. Like how else are you going to get that? I don't know. Like I just got a lot of people to, to, to interview. I've probably done... I don't even know. I, I would struggle to count. I, I think a, at least 150 interviews in mm -hmm. the past uh, maybe year, year and a half, uh, mm. specifically through Periscope. One thing you mentioned earlier, Dan, was the kind of humanness of it, of just talking to somebody face to face. And to me, as far as SE is concerned, that's got to be the most important part of why I really like this method. I think SE is almost a therapy in some part in that uh, people are able to express ideas or talk about topics that normally they wouldn't want to in any other context because either they feel pressured not to or they just never considered it. And just having somebody out of the blue, I mean, like you can tell them anything and it doesn't matter because they don't know you, you know? So it's like, they. I feel like there is a, a way to be more honest with yourself there in that sense. So, yeah. I think it's got us ups and downs and I think it might even depend on the person. Some person might be more open if it's a little bit more anonymous. Some people might be more open if it's a little bit more personal like uh, like uh, uh, Reed and uh, Anthony's conversations. It, it sort of depends. But I loved how you touched on what I consider the healing potential of street epistemology. And I found that um, even on Periscope, it has that potential. I, 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 I think we have lots of evidence. Uh, I, I specifically have lots of evidence that uh, leads me to that conclusion. Yeah, so Dan, we did a test like last week for Facebook's uh, live feature. We talked about it a little bit before, but uh, I'd like to show people like how to do that. Can you yeah. see my screen? So this is my phone. Um, 
basically you go to like the chat with the street epistemology group and you go to like write something and then you choose live video and there you go turn it sideways preferably and then you just hit choose a theme and you can bring on a friend i think you can start it by yourself but you can also bring on a friend bring so me if on. you're in the yeah i could bring on a friend i could choose dan simpson and there we go and then i start it i'm reed's friend it's official yes so Hello. that's how it works so i think if you want to have street epistemology conversations or practice them go to the group um and see if anybody wants to talk about anything and then start a stream and people can watch the stream and then yeah see i got a request here from dan then i go to approve yeah and i think it's working one button here oh i have to rotate my phone yeah i have to rotate the phone if i'm, if I'm sideways my phone. and there we are ta-da that bad. simple oh hell yeah that's great and then people will start watching you can see in the top left and uh, okay so is this only friends who are also part of the group who are seeing this or it's only people in the group that can okay. see it oh. but you could change <laughs> so different sets of people can watch it it could be live to everyone or you can do it live to a specific group do you guys think that this kind of technology automatically limits the the demographic of people that might participate in it uh maybe I think yeah any platform sort of can do that and will i mean at the end of the day like we're using technology so people who can't afford the technology they're limited so we're not going to talk to them mm -hmm. i'm thinking age too you know somebody in their 40s 50s 60s might not be live streaming or no you don't have to live stream Right. I mean, if you really care about the method and you really care about disabusing people of your beliefs, I mean, just even practicing without live streaming, I think is good too. So, and actually, I think that brings up a really super important point um, because now we have, I think, more, I mean, obviously, we have more and more examples of street epistemology that are available. You know, sort of started, I'm assuming, with Anthony and it sort of start, uh, grew from there. We got Doug, we have, uh, we have Reed here. I, I jumped on Periscope, and now we have like dozens of others. Um, oh yeah, there's a lot. Um, placing pebbles in England. We have Linda Mako in Finland. Um, Raul Cardona from Street Knowledge. There's another guy. I just saw his video. Uh, how could I forget Deep Discussions? Uh, Edward yeah. Eddie. Um, there's, a, there's another guy who. Uh, what's that? Open Inquiry. I forgot. Open Inquiry. Yeah, Open Inquiry. Oh, who else? There's this new guy. He's just about to start. He's been uploading. He's been recording some videos. I think he took your advice, Reed, like just to do a few and then start uploading uh, when he has a good library. And uh, I think in the next few days we'll start seeing some even more, con you know, even more new contenders enter the fray. Right. Love it. So, but I'm but I'm thinking about this. But how many? Do we have like a count of how many street epistemologists we have sort of signed up for the for the you know. 10,000 uh, street epistemologist goal. Like, where are we now? Oh, well, okay. So for if you're thinking just only on the street epistemology website where you can go to the list of 10,000 and you have to create an account and then tick a box to have your name appear on the list, 
there's probably only 300 or 400 people. I mean, it's, it's right. not, it's minuscule. So but if you were to, if you were to look at the Facebook study group, which is the oldest and, and most populated Facebook group, I think we're, we're probably closing in on 5,000 people there. So we think about that and then we compare that number to how many people are live streaming. And then I think, I think maybe we quickly realize that probably the majority of street epistemology conversations are happening off camera. And I think oh, without a doubt realization to have, because I think also beginning SEists, um, I think they could maybe even be a little bit, um, uh, uh, scared of the method like oh my gosh how do you do this how can someone be so effective i mean for me i, I had conversations with family members and friends where it completely obliterated obliterated our relationship and then i go and i pull up an anthony magna bosco video and like by the end of the video i'm like crying and i'm like laughing and crying at the same time i'm like how does this man do this i was so impressed like blown away right so like we, we're having all these people having these conversations, and I'm worried that it's going to get a little easy to compare themselves to people who do street epistemology a lot. I still do. Like, I, I still look up to, to Reed and Anthony and Doug and y'all, and I'm like, okay, uh, I got to do better. I'm uh, not sure what your, what's your, what I'm what's getting, your concern. I'm concern, not sure I follow. It's not a really a huge big deal. My concern is this. I think it just means we sort of have a responsibility to continue, as we've been doing, to continue to sort of teach people to do it, to give people the base. Uh, and that's actually one, one reason I'm, I'm stoked to, to have my show. I'm sort of looking at more and more as like an SE chat show where I'm able to advocate for and teach street epistemology in little bite-sized segments. And, uh, and I've actually had some help from, uh, from Reed and, and some other folks uh, to develop some of those ideas. With my show, like, I don't know where I want it to go, but I, I want to do really exciting things with it. And I think I, I think I want to continue to advocate for critical thinking, and I think one of the best ways to best ways to do that is to advocate for street epistemology. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah I, I guess I, I I would hate to get to the point where the content or the the examples that people were uploading were so effective and good that people were intimidated to even start trying. I hope that <laughs> that would really suck if people were kind of coming to that um, to that conclusion. Well, well they have the option to watch your old videos and see you progress um, yeah yeah that's another thing that helped me uh feel comfortable trying it myself is seeing where you started like that mm -hmm. first video like where you're just yelling at that at that guy it's like wow i can do better than that just now watching so uh it's so funny because can, yeah i was think i'm thinking about pulling that clip when i give my talk at uh american atheists yes that's a show because most people in that room are probably using that approach mm -hmm. and to show this is where I was. And if I can get through this, uh, you guys can too. Well, I, I think we only succeed because we fail and we have to fail hard sometimes in order to start, start succeeding. Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. I do hear people talk about it and they see like, Oh, look, it's a 30 minute lit video. Like I don't have time for this. So they'll be like, Oh, look, this guy has way too much patience that I'll never have. So I just never even have to, you know, and, and it's kind of hard because, I mean, SE is kind of the skill that you do have to develop. It's almost like you got to go into like this Zen meditation trance when you talk to people to get away from your own beliefs and just kind of question people like where they're at in life. Um, and for me, I had the unique experience of being on the other side of that. So that helped directly with with my experiences of doing it. But like, I don't even know for someone who's never doesn't know anything about SE 
who assumes that maybe it's a good method, who's never actually seen it, I, I wouldn't even know how to start. I think that's a, a really good question to kind of answer uh, and, you know, explore. Well, you know, something, something happened at NanoCon when I was at the table that we had. A guy came up to me, and there was nobody else around to verify this, but he said something like, you know, Anthony, I, I was really skeptical about, like, this whole street epistemology thing, and I just didn't think it would work or that I'd be good at it. But about a month ago... I was going through my usual debate with somebody and then it just dawned on me to start asking some questions that I heard in the videos that people are uploading. And he said, I'll be damned if it wasn't the best conversation that we ever had. And it was so, it's so rewarding. Like he, he just, I don't know, it's something flipped inside him and he said, I'm going to just try something a little bit different. And he said it was one of the most productive conversations that he's had with, with somebody who believed in a God ever. And he was really grateful for it. Really grateful for for the content that people were uploading. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Nice. Oh, what else do we want? we want to show this video? Or do we have enough time? Oh, there's a video. Sure. I thought, yeah, that's right. Uh, we have a nine minute video of uh, Dan engaging with uh, some students at an apologetics class. If I remember right, this the the teacher in, uh, the instructor emailed me and he wanted to, um, I don't know, have me come out or something. But I'm like, that's just kind of hard to do. But I think there's somebody in your city that can talk to you, and that was you, Dan. And then I think you got in touch with him. You want to kind of set this up and then we can play it. Yeah, sure. Uh, real quick. Uh, so this is a uh, an apologetics professor. He's also an associate professor of uh, philosophy at one of the schools in the city. But the school that that I met with, the, the, the class that I met with was from Trinity Trinity International University, which uh, I looked it up, just some quick Googling. It said something like it was a uh, uh, evangelical liberal arts college, something like that. And he said it was for an apologetics class. And in his email, I think he asked you to come and do a presentation on quote unquote, why atheism is more reasonable which is not exactly the chat that I wanted to have. <laughs> That's not how I talk. But um, I, uh, I, I took the invitation. It quickly found out, we found out that I wasn't going to be able to go out there and meet them at that time. But uh, he still wanted to have the conversation, and we arranged uh, sort of a video chat. So we did a hangout. Uh, I gave a quick 15-minute presentation that could be found on my YouTube. It's the first video I uploaded. And then, um, and then I had a chat with the class, uh, starting with uh, an interview with one of the apologetics students. And then I had a quick, uh, about a 10, 15-minute Q&A where my mind was just blown by the questions I was asked. Um, and um, yeah, so the, the interview we're about to watch is with a young man, his name is Lucas, a uh, uh, nice young guy. Uh, we talk about his belief in God. Sorry about that sound effect. Uh, we talk about his belief in God and we talk about um, uh, his reasoning behind it. And uh, I find this to be one of my less effective chats. Even with that said, it actually hit a lot of my goals for having these kinds of conversations. So while it wasn't a perfect chat, I'm still happy with it. So yeah. I want to add before you start this video, if you haven't seen Dan's other video where he talks to the classroom uh, and when they ask him questions, I recommend after this podcast, you go look that up because those kids ask some hard hard questions and I would have been sweating a little bit if they asked me that on the spot honestly and Dan does a wonderful job in my opinion of, of giving really great answers so yeah thanks that's Dan. cool and we'll put a link to it uh, on the video here 
Okay, so I'm going to transition over to here and then give me a thumbs up if you can hear the video. If you um, also, if you want to pause it, just say pause, I'll pause it, and then we can talk to it. So here we go. Skip it. So it says the Hangout on Air is live, and we are going live. We're going live to Trinity International University. Our first runner up, our first contestant today is Lucas. Hi, Lucas. How are you doing today? <laughs> doing all right. How about you? I'm doing all right, and uh, thank you again for letting me interview you. This will just be a real quick five, 10 minute thing. So Lucas, um, what uh, what is the belief that you wanna investigate with me today? Uh, I'm a, a Christian. I okay. believe this. I believe the fundamental truths about Christian, belief, Christian doctrine, like Jesus rose from the dead, he is God, things like that. Do you want me to, how much detail do you want me to go into? Well, what we're going to do is just pick one belief and just go for it. So maybe think about uh, just a deeply held belief out of that collection of beliefs. We know Christianity isn't a belief. It's a, it's a collection of beliefs. So feel free to pick one that you hold deeply, and what, uh, we're just going to talk about it. Um, I believe that God created the universe. And okay. Out there. But yeah, perfect. That's a, that's a perfect way to start. Um, all right, so... I'm trying to figure out which way, how, how to do the old the chat thing. So what we're saying here is uh, you believe God exists and God created the universe. Um, that's going to be let me ask a, a little bit more. If we could define this belief a little bit, what we do is de we define it. Yeah. So he says God exists and he, and he, he actually answered one of the questions that is usually one of my follow-up questions, uh, which is, you know, did God create the universe? Because that really helps me define and understand what we're talking about. So... And this is actually going to be very important for uh, later in the chat. Uh, yeah, so I just sort of want to preface it like that. Cool. The bat. Does your God also, do you believe God also intervenes in daily life? Yeah. Okay. So um, is um, one could <laughs> remain agnostic, I guess. But <laughs> okay. So you believe in God. Your God created the universe. And your God intervenes in daily life. Um, okay, so let's talk about what God is. Like, what is God? Is God a being? Is it a force? Well, God's not the force, like in Star Wars or anything like that. Um, typically, I would define him as like um, an eternally existing being. What the nature of that being is, um, you can't really place judgment on it based solely because um, our. Our own finite nature can't even understand an infinite nature like the an eternal being like God. And I believe that God is a necessary being as an eternal being. Okay, so you believe in God, God created the universe, God intervenes, and God is an eternally existing being. What is an eternally existing being? Let's define that real quick, and I think we might be able to move on. An existing being? Eternally existing being. Oh, okay. Eternally existing being. Uh, basically, that's um, he is timeless, which means he has no beginning and no end. Which, uh, as a, I see as some sort form of eternal thing must exist, and I say the most probable explanation for that is an eternal being called that we call God. Okay, and let's go ahead and try. What we're going to do is assign a uh, a certainty to it. If you want, we're, we could pause. Um, I often find that the definition phase of 
uh, of talking to people about their belief in God is really interesting. Like, how do you define it? And I think what happens really quickly is you start getting like characteristics instead of like the actual definition of what it is. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of hard for me to describe because I think it's because it's possible we're talking about something imaginary. So that's the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I feel you there. I feel like someone, so obviously this person is in an apologetics class, so he's probably a little more well-read on specific topics like this, you know, uh, at least philosophically speaking. But I notice when you talk to just the average person when they do it, they usually give a much simpler, more succinct explanation. And, and that's almost as equally valid to investigate, right? But almost when you give the more complex explanation, it's kind of more hard to dig into which part you want to go after, you know? Okay. I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, it's something I've been exploring, like how do we go about the definition phase? I don't know. I'm going to keep thinking about it. The key use the phrase, scale. It's a zero to 100 yeah. scale. Yeah, just the one thing I would point out is that he said the most probable explanation. Mm. So that's something I would definitely uh, work to explore. I don't remember what you did after this, but this is good so far. Uh, where zero is all doubt and no confidence that this belief is a true belief, and a hundred percent is all confidence and no doubt that this belief is a true belief. Where would you uh, put yourself on that scale, Lucas? If you want to, we could use it. If not, we don't have to. Um, I mean, just because of the <laughs> the intellectual arrogance of saying one hundred, I'll go with something like uh, ninety-five or ninety-nine. <laughs> ninety-five. Okay, very good. We're, let's just stick with ninety-five, and it's sort of an arbitrary number. It's really just something for us to just sort of work with and uh, get a get a, an idea of what we're working with here. Okay, so you're ninety-five percent certain a God exists. This is uh, a God that created the universe and that intervenes. It's eternally existing and it's timeless and necessary. As you can see, I'm not trying to like change anything that you say. I really just want to understand uh, what you believe. So you're 95% certain. First question about that is, what would make you more certain, hypothetically? Yeah, pause for a second. So yeah, he said, well, I don't know what he said after 100%, but he said he's not 100%. He's like 95 or 99. I think that would have been a great spot to like, to clarify, he's saying, okay, he could be wrong about this, which is a very praiseworthy thing uh, yeah. to, to tell him. So that could also help build a, build some trust and rapport, like praising people being open to, but basically modeling Doug's doxastic openness, you know? So that, that would be great. So like I could have said something like, wow, like, okay, so it seems as though you reserve a little bit of doubt. It seems as though... Um, you know, you're open to possibly being wrong. I really respect that. Let's keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah there was an opening there. I, I liked how he said something like it would have been intellectual arrogance. He said that himself. I like that. What do you guys think about the uh, people in the background? They look completely disinterested and the whole time <laughs> I thought that they... Yeah. One looks like she's yeah. falling asleep and the other one just a thousand mile stare. It's interesting. They might be concentrated on the conversations. I don't know. Because maybe I, I kind of make faces like that sometimes. So I don't know. <laughs> what was that? I missed it. Like cut out for a second. Oh, I'm sorry. So the question is what would make you, uh, hypothetically, what would make you more certain 
that that belief is a true belief? Um, well, one, obviously, I guess the ultimate confirmation is what exactly what you said would be after you die, what happens. Um, another yeah. one, um, various forms of supernatural event. I personally haven't like any had any biblical vision or anything like that in my life, but yeah. something like that as well would be more than convincing to me. Okay, so I think we're sort of in agreement, and that's really nice. I like to find uh, I like to find areas where where I agree with people. So it's important to find common ground, right? So you're saying, you know, if you saw life after death, that your confidence would shoot up. Do you think it would shoot up to hundred percent? Definitely. <laughs> like, yeah, just like as about as certain as you are that you exist, right? Yeah. That's sort of like how I like to f define like a hundred percent. Like, I can't be more sure than that, right? I exist. Okay, cool. So, Lucas, you're up, up, you're 95% certain a God uh, that your belief is a true belief in a God, which is an eternally existing being. It uh, created the universe and intervenes. Okay, so what if you can think of maybe sort of uh, a pie chart? I, I just like to think of food things. So, a pie chart uh, of your biggest reasons that uh, that you think this belief is a true belief. What would you say is your your number one reason? Your biggest slice of pie. My number one reason would be. Um, I, and the, well, the, I guess I could cite the cosmological argument, but basically, okay. um, I don't believe there can be uh, infinite temporal regress. So, um, and I believe that, that there must be some kind of ex eternally existing thing. And the uh, when okay. try to apply matter to that, the very laws of nature break down on that its own on that theory. So if it can't be natural, then what is it? Some kind of supernatural, I guess. Um, that's a sim a quick version of. Um, okay. what I, yeah. So, if if I can paraphrase, and I, I really do want you to uh, correct me if you think I'm mistaken here, uh, you're ninety five percent certain that this belief is true because your number one reason is that, um, is that you believe that you know we can't have infinite regress. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you found out hypothetically that we can have that we can have infinite regress, what would that do to your confidence? Well, I can't even initially. I can't even conceive of what that looks like. All right. <laughs> what would that do to my confidence? Yeah. Um, if you were convinced, if if like one day you woke up and you're like, "Wow, I really thought about this a lot yesterday," and I guess I am really convinced that at least it's possible that there can be infinite regress. What would it do to your confidence? Pause. Um, yeah. Maybe, yeah, I like, the, I like the question, but maybe phrasing it like, what if I, if you learn something to your satisfaction, maybe it's not just like you just thought about it, like where you just came to the conclusion, like trying to maybe model a more reliable way of coming to knowledge. Like you have, it has to be, external to yourself most of the time, especially for something like this. It's, you know, so. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that as well. Those are my thoughts. Okay. Depending on the, the nature of what that looks like and everything, then I think it would, it would take a knock, I guess, but not a, not much, I guess. Okay. Just cause, yeah. Do you want to, do you want to guess, like estimate where you'd be on that scale? You don't have to. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, but it would go down. 
Yeah. Okay. Incrementally. So that tells me, like, yeah, you do take that at least. All right. So uh, what do you guys think about that moment? And I'm just going to reframe it. He believes in a God that created the universe. He's 95 to 99% certain that that's a true belief. If he found out that there was no, or that there was infinite regress, uh, that would imply that the universe wasn't created, right? It was always around. But what would it do to his confidence? He said it would go down a little bit. What do you guys think about that? Um, I like it. And maybe if his answer seems a little wishy-washy or not unclear, I just go to like possible questions. I think of like questions like, could it be possible the universe could could have an infinite regress and a god exist at the same time? Something like that. Or how does or relate questions like how does the creation of the universe relate to a god existing? Right. Right. Yeah. And 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 how how could a god create the universe if the universe has, had always been around? Like that's the contradiction I cannot wrap my head around. If he found out the universe was always around, how can he believe in a god that created the universe? That's what he said at the beginning. He was 95% certain that a god created the universe. Some infinities are bigger than other infinities though, Dan. Apparently. <laughs> I just I can't wrap my head around that and I wish I sort of uh, I touched on that a little bit more effectively in the chat, but that's the, that's the benefit of 2020 vision. Basically, we want to understand if he had an alternate explanation for the creation of the universe, would that affect his confidence in the God? Which he believes created the universe. Yes. So if he had an alternate explanation without it, yeah, where would that change his confidence? How would that change his confidence? Well, this is an example of my ineffective questioning, but you know we sort of power through, and it's not so bad. That was good. What seriously, right? Sometimes people tell me, "Oh no, well no, my confidence wouldn't go down." Uh, I, I've done these chats so many times; it's it's so interesting how how people think about their beliefs. So you're telling me that you take this piece of evidence at least somewhat seriously. So you would go down, but we don't know how much. That's fine. We don't need to say how much that would be. So okay. So let's say there can be infinite regress in the universe. Um, let's say hypothetically that's true, that it's possible that there is infinite regress. What would be different? About, um, my beliefs? About the universe. Oh, well, the universe would, uh, from a physics standpoint, would have to have enough energy to somehow not reach a state of heat death and maybe some kind of like fluctuation, like expansion, contraction kind of thing for all eternity. Um, that would have to be different as, um, okay. The, uh, time would kind of be an idea of time would kind of be arbitrary because how an eternally existing universe would have every situation every physical situation that ever could possibly exist has existed in the past at some point in time um <laughs> does that make sense and i'm <laughs> that sounds um that sounds sort of sort of pretty intense right yeah and so that those are two implications of the universe being eternal or having an infinite regress i guess 
Okay. So let's say that was the case. Mm -hmm. Let's say that it is possible that there's infinite regress. Let's say that there is infinite regress and it's happening. And just like you said, every possible thing that could happen is happening. And I think you said sort of simultaneously and I was sort of poetic the way you put it. Right. <laughs> so, uh, my question is if that were the case, how would you determine that for yourself? How would I determine that or know that? Yeah. How would you go? How would you like, go like, Oh, that's how it's actually happening. Uh, well, a number of things would have, have to happen. Okay. You would have to get past the, the block of there not being enough energy or matter to, to sustain that. And they would also get to, um, I guess philosophically, it'd be really tough to even comprehend what that means or to even approach. That girl in the background is hilarious. She's hating it. Yeah. And the kid on the far left too. And when you said that's pretty intense, I feel like that's not what you wanted to say. I felt like you wanted to say that sounds like sci-fi. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. <laughs> going, right? What I it was to... funny watching your reaction, Dan, as that was playing out, I have to say. I didn't know what to say. I, uh, but I, I wanted to be encouraging, you know. Uh, so I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I think I called it poetic. You did, yeah. Was there more to it, or you want to end there? Um, yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Having that kind of knowledge, so okay. I, I, I can't even imagine what that <laughs> looks like. You can't imagine what it would be like for there to be infinite regress. Just because uh, everyone is lives as a as a beginning, has an end, and everything they do exists in some form of space and time. So I'm in a place talking to you, and there's a time that this vi video began and a time this will end, and having a situation where there's no beginnings or ends has a has very strange implications on my psyche okay. i guess <laughs> yeah so i know that's pretty trippy and i totally agree so you're saying uh, uh well uh, infinite regress would be sort of like having no beginning and ends is that what we're how does the truth value of a proposition relate to his psyche his what is his feeling his his psyche how it affects his psyche yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. yeah. There was definitely an, a more effective line of questioning that I could have used. I think the if you guys want to chime in here, maybe the the best question I could have asked is because I'm trying to determine, you know, well, what's the difference between a universe with or without? And I think that's the question I should have asked. Let's say we have two hypothetical universes, one with uh, infinite re regress, one without infinite regress. How could you and I tell the difference between the two? And of course, his answer is, well, I don't know. Because that's my answer, and he, and he doesn't really understand the physics either. He's just sort of just repeating it. Um, yeah. So that that's the more effective question I should have asked. What do, what do you guys think? How, how could I have gone about this? And we could end the interview because it pretty much just sort of ends pretty much right there. Like, well, how could you know? I don't know. I think he did kind of answer that, but he didn't answer it in a way you or I might have expected. You know, I think he was kind of saying that everything would be infinite, and like on a local level, and it's like I don't know if that's true. If the universe was infinite, you know. Uh, but at that point, you start getting into uh, you know specific claims and stuff, and and you know we kind of want to avoid that. We kind of want to be as general as possible. So I'm not sure how to handle an answer like that. 
what do you guys? Um, one thing that I noticed with with this fellow and just apologists in general, it seems, is that they put forward reasons uh, to justify their God belief, and the reasons they put forward are these extremely difficult questions that we don't know the answers to. And because you can't answer it, it's a justification for holding the belief that a God exists, as opposed to saying, we don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Maybe one day we'll figure it out. They go further and say, because you don't know the answer to that, I'm justified in believing that the Christian God is real because, I don't know, because it says so in the book that there's this explanation for it. He didn't go that far here. But I, I just um, think it's interesting when people, people, it's essentially like an argument from ignorance. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm reading that right, it's Kalam. Yeah. Um, so basically, the explanation, like God acts as an explanation for the creation of the universe for him. So I would kind of talk about like the, the nature of what explanations are. And like the quality of explanations, like we have multiple mature models of the creation of the universe. And by mature, it's like the ability to explain the past and predict the future. We can like test our models. Our models need to be testable. We need to be able to do things and see the result and see how they compare to what we expect. So the God hypothesis is an immature model for the creation of the universe because it has no way of being tested or I don't know how we could like what, I, what, how could that model be tested? What would you expect to happen if you did something? Um, so that's mm -hmm. kind of how I would go about it. I think. Yeah, I think he kind of strongly implies that if God didn't create the universe, then it would just be infinite regress, right? But so, so I kind of think you had a point there. I was saying like, well, can you imagine a universe where it wasn't an infinite regress, but there was no God? Like, is that possible? And just kind of playing with that too. We might actually be in that right now. How could we tell? Yeah. I, I don't have no idea. Like, how do we know nothing happened before the Big Bang? All right. How do we know that? We're just guessing. Um, yeah. 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 What's What's important is how we know, not just because it's given as a why, as an explanation. We care yeah. about how more than why. I find myself. I found myself wondering after watching this the first time, what, like, what's the objective when you go to an apologetics class, to teach? Here are the provable things that justify. Our belief or here's lots of very difficult questions that humans are struggling to understand so you put you put these forward first to stump your questioner because he won't be able to answer it she'll get stuck and this is your best this is your best defense against your belief is to stymie a person with with difficulty and it just seems it's just it strikes me as disingenuous to put that forward as your best argument why you know, why would a person who believes in Jesus put forward infinite regress as a justification for believing that their God is real? I mean, wouldn't you have to be taught that? Like, I would love to be a fly on the wall in these apologetics classes on the very first day. Like, actually go through it and see what's being taught 
And how are people getting in, the, in getting put into this mindset that this is our best foot forward? This is our best defense of this belief. I think this is our next fundraiser. Get Anthony to take an apology class. I'm, I'm too old for that. Anthony, will do. Yeah, I was going to say, you need to come to the Apologetics Club I go to every Tuesday night. I see the presentations. Dan's on it already. I don't need to do it. I'll just, I'll just rely on well, I'm, see, I've become that guy that will uh, raise questions at the end. And then, like, <laughs> I, you know, there starts to have a dialogue there. And that's kind of interesting. It's like, oh, we got to wait till later. We'll do it afterwards. Mm. See, I'm proposing somebody going in and just being a quiet kid in the corner, just watching, watch yeah, taking notes. Mm-hmm. And try not to influence anything and mm-hmm. just seeing what is happening. What are the dynamics? How are people deferring to authority? What happens if somebody asks a, asks a really good question? Are they told to think about it and pray on it and look at the Bible and come back next week? And is it addressed? Now, I will say, well, I'll, I'll tell you from my experience, they are very good at answering questions uh, to the extent that I've been there. Uh, they they are kind of long answers sometimes, and I think they do kind of obfuscate points, um, but there's certain premises that you also have to accept with some of the answers sometimes, right? And then if you don't accept those premises, then you say, well, what about this? And then it kind of becomes this back and forth, and it's like, you know, your answer wasn't actually answered, the, or your question wasn't actually answered the first time, but, so you have to get more and more, and then that's mm-hmm. when it becomes you know, something that isn't beneficial for the group as a whole, almost, because yeah. you, you, you look like you're nitpicking, right? You look like you're, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, being unreasonable, even though I think there are plenty of reasonable questions to ask for a lot of these presentations. But I'm also wondering, yeah. I'm also wondering how often faith is brought up these days in apologetics classes. So it's I counted greatly. Or let me let me talk about this for a second, if you don't mind, for like thirty seconds. Every single apologist I have ever talked to, every single one, has defined faith differently. From pretty much every single Christian, normal Christian I've ever talked to. And this is why. <laughs> they say that faith is the belief in something with evidence. And the trust in evidence. Okay? Something along those lines. That's not exact. But I hear apologists say this all the time. And they'll you'll bring up, oh, well, what about, you know, doubting Thomas and all that? You know, you bring up these verses. It's like, oh, well, you have to know the Greek and blah, 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 and this and that. Here's the thing. Maybe all that's true. Maybe when Jesus Christ was on earth and he talked about faith, uh, that was his definition of faith. Uh, The majority of humanity that has ever believed in Christianity has not not worked in that definition, at least in the same context. Um, So I almost see like there's this divide between what apologists talk to amongst themselves and their circle of scholarship and the normal, regular old central Texan Christian um, because there's definitely a, a distance there uh, because people, and, and I know this Anthony because I've seen your videos and, and read as well. I know you guys talk on the street with people and how they define faith. Uh, that rarely comes up. People saying it's a belief in evidence or evidence even have anything to do with it. How are these folks squaring the definitions that are clearly being elicited? Um, that's a bad word, but mm-hmm. that are clearly being offered by your interlocutor without any prodding and, and that's how, the yeah. argue with person after person after person clearly offering faith as a justification and in many cases in epistemology right right but, how do they ignore that how do are they not seeing this i, I just don't understand 
they'll they'll quote the passage in I believe it's First Peter that says uh, you have to be prepared to defend your faith, right? So that's how they go about. Well, in that instance, I think uh, they're using faith to mean the belief, the religion, the conclusion. Yes, right. And so again, but these kind well, of listen. When I ask a person, "How did you determine that that's true?" and they say, "You just have to have faith." It comes mm. down to faith. An apologist will never a good one. At least any of the ones I've ever talked to have never said that. There's always going to be some reason. Right, but uh, I'm wondering if they've been trained out of giving that response because they understand the liabilities that go with it. Oh yeah, I think so. I think so. It was not uh, once in my uh, in my chat with the apologist class, which lasted about thirty minutes. Right. So. Yeah. Interesting. So being the fly on the wall, it'd be really cool to see a green, uh, you know, student in an apologetics class. They go around the room and somebody says faith, how that gets addressed, how that gets, gets, um, you know, removed from the lexicon or removed from the defense in some way. Uh, is it just through education and, and are they truly correcting the person? No, you're really using it wrong. Um, we don't use it that way. That's, that's wrong. Or is it, it's really problematic if you say that you're using faith. Mm -hmm. If you if you say that faith is a component of this belief, um, we really want to try to get you away from that because we understand the weakness in it. Yeah, and I've never actually seen that happen, but I would love to see that. And what's also interesting mm -hmm. is to see because I know theologians and apologists have redefined faith this way, but I can I can quote you know Martin Luther right, who have said like faith and reason are opposites and he called reason a whore you know what i mean uh, and he's not the only thinker that thinks that way but you can look at a body of christian works or philosophy that don't necessarily uh abide by the same principles right um i'm trying to think uh soren kierkegaard you know it talks about the leap of faith metaphor in his works uh, you know so th this idea that there's this consensus on the definition of faith um, is just simply not true. And um, as a, a person who grew up in Christianity and who, who was taught what this idea of faith was, I never encountered that either. So I don't know. Maybe I've been lied to and I'm wrong. It could be. Maybe all these other people are wrong. It could be. But what's the what's the probability here? You know, what's the likelihood? So I just think uh, this is this is reminding me of the the disingenuous. I think uh, disingenuousness with which uh, some of the SE. Uh, SEs are receiving criticism right now. Uh, we're being told uh, by people who are criticizing us, who are calling SE manipulative and whatnot, uh, that faith isn't an epistemology. And I just have to keep pointing back. I'm like, well, can you can you please tell that to the people that I interview who offer up faith as their main reason for believing? Like, why are you telling me this? Are you mad at me for uncovering this? Yeah. I understand your anger, like the criticism. Well, Let's, let's be clear, clear. You just to be clear. You said reason, um, and I think there's a difference between a reason and a method. So somebody possibly could use faith as a reason and define faith to mean evidence or something like that, right. and it possibly be justifiable. But yeah, um, instead of people who use it as a reason, people who say. It's, it's what I use. I use it. Yes, right. And I we have to be careful as practitioners of SE not to try to intentionally or not uh, confuse a person into thinking that they're using it as a method. 
because we don't want to be accused of saying, I don't know, tricking a person to make them think that they're using it as a method. Uh, we want that to, to just sort of be revealed through the course of a conversation, which is why I think it's important to ask a person to, to define that word. Uh, can you provide an example where faith is is how you, um, I guess I'm going to say the word use, <laughs> um, how you use faith on a daily basis? Do you use faith for things other than this God belief, or is it a component to something that you believe besides just this God? So I think yeah. we need to be a little more more sensitive to the to the potential confusion there. And this has happened to me twice now, where one, there was that person who wrote that article about me and Anthony, who claimed that Anthony made this definition of faith, um, which wasn't true. It was me, right, that you talked to me and asked what my definition was. And somebody in the this apologetics group that I go to recently did the same thing. He actually watched my video and said, well, it's interesting that he defined faith that way. You know, I wouldn't have defined faith that way. And I was like, no. He meaning you or me? You, you. He said the same, like the same thing that the other guy thought. He, I wrote, he, yeah, I wrote, I wrote down your definition. If right, and I and I corrected him. I said, no, look, the, look, this is my video, dude. I'm telling you, go watch that again. He didn't say that. That was me. You know, that was my definition. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, so for people listening and watching that conducts street epistemology, when somebody mentions faith, ask them for their definition. And ask them to provide some examples of of when that is employed. You could say something like, "How does faith give you confidence?" Even the, using the word "how" might be somewhat trying to slip in methodology. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts, Reed? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to avoid. Um, what were you, what was the question? Uh, we were kind of talking about how to be careful. So, how to be careful that you're um you're not foisting onto somebody a definition or a use of a word like faith um well, well, they might not be using it that way we just don't mention the word until they say it we don't yeah say this okay so are you using faith we don't ask that question and we don't define right. faith for them we uh, we always ask we always let them explain how they came to the belief, what their reasons are. Yeah. And if faith is that reason, we ask them to define it. So I don't see the problem. Yeah, usually it comes up, you say, so if a Muslim used their holy book and to conclude that this is true, and it seems like you have your holy book that this is true, how can a, a neutral observer tell the difference? And that might be when they say, well, well, that's where the faith comes in. You're using the faith to discern the difference between the two books. That's what makes my book more believable. That's how I know. I think. I think that's what they're saying. And they, I, it could be. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm terrible here. Maybe the best way is just to model. Uh, is just to sort of mirror what the interlocutor says. So if they say, if they say, well, that's where faith comes in. And you could say, well, in what way does faith come in, or how does faith come in? If you if you, if you want don't want to say how, you could say in what way. Yeah. Or this or the easy. Hey, correct me if I'm mistaken here. I'm going to repeat back what I think you're saying. Uh, that in order for you to discern the difference between a, a book, a, a Muslim book that that claims that it has the truth, and your holy book that claims that it has the truth, is that that faith is a required component. That it's a necessary thing that you have to have in order to know which one is true. Is that right? And they say, and then they yes. might, yeah, they'll usually say, yeah, yeah, it's faith. And then you can go, well, in what way is it a necessary component? 
You can also say if faith wasn't there at your disposal, and and you're not even getting into methodology there. Yeah. If faith wasn't at your disposal, would you then then how could a person tell which book is true? Right. But that might be slipping in how to. I don't know. I, I think it's it's murky. It's one of those murky things, but let's just try to be a little bit more careful not yeah. to put words in people's mouths when it comes to that word in particular. We, we, the, 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 to put it in a nutshell, we don't want to imply that uh, uh, theists are using faith as an epistemology because uh, the critique is that some, uh, some aren't, or at least that's what they're saying. Here, here's maybe the best way is to say, you can ask a how question. How could a person tell which one of these is true? What is the best method to figure that out? And then if they say faith, and they give you a definition, then I think you're safe. You, you can then conclusively say, this individual is indeed using this as an epistemology. And, yeah, that's what you asked me, I believe. And I said mm. faith. I think that's how we got to that. Cool. That makes sense. All right, man. We should probably wrap this up. This was, this was going really great. Uh, I love this great chat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else do we have on the agenda here, Reed? We're going to wrap it up. I think this is pretty much wrapping it up. Any, uh, so we got some announcements. Uh, again, yeah, American Atheists Conference coming up in two weeks. In two Anthony weeks. will be there. I'll be there. And a few other people from the SE community will be there. So feel free to come on out. If you're, we have a lot of people going. Daniel's going to be there. Reed will be there. Uh, Dan Simpson is not going to be there. Oh. But I think people mm-hmm. from Atheist Experience will be there. They'll be live broadcasting. Um there's a shitload of people going. I thought I would give people a heads up on the title of my talk. Does anyone care to know what that's going to be? Tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. Sure, sure. I'm I'm going out on I'm going out on a ledge here with this one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call my talk. Drum roll. I'm 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 making this bigger than it really is, but I'm going to call it Street Epistemology: A Turning Point for Atheism. Ooh. Boom boom hmm. boom. Interesting. And I, yeah, 45 minutes on the stage, 900 people. I'm nervous. It's going to be big. Is that your biggest audience so far? Yeah. NanoCon was my biggest. That was this just past weekend, but I think it'll probably be dwarfed by by American Atheists. It's okay. If you get nervous, you can just uh, call me in. We'll do a hangout. Yeah, you talk me down. And then after that, we've got the Faithless Forum, uh, April 7th in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, Faithless, For- Faithless Forum. There's a whole bunch of content creators. They're mostly on YouTube. And they're going to be meeting in Dallas uh, from 1 o'clock to 9 o'clock uh, Central Time on April 7th. And they brought me in to do a keynote and give a workshop on street epistemology. That should be fun. They, it's going to be cool because they are the future content creators for... Uh, you know, if you have kids or something, and they're they're five years old, ten years old, fifteen years old, they will probably be probably be watching the content that these folks are creating. So I'm really eager to be with them. Nice. And what's this about? At least four new interview opportunities. Oh, I think I just put that out there. Had, well, being at Nanocon, I ran into a whole bunch of podcasters who uh, either attended the workshop or stopped by the table, and they're interested in SE. And uh, I think I got a busy month coming up, but I, I'm I'm kind of trying to keep May open. Uh, I want to get back on the trails. I want to start having some more chats. Nice. Um, 
And also you spotted a new, you, we talked about this earlier, you spotted a new YouTube channel sporting SE content. To be yeah. Revealed uh, he's trying, he's, yeah, he's, he's uh, probably going to start releasing some content. So once he does, I don't know if you're following the street epistemology th uh, Twitter, uh, go ahead and follow that. And you'll probably get a notification once, once his stuff is live. And, uh, we have a couple, we've been kind of slacking off on the podcast episodes, just mainly because of lack of content and just people being busy who put that stuff together. But I think we'll start seeing some, some new fresh content there soon. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll, that wraps it up. We can just give our any social media info. Again, I'm Reed. You can find me at Cordial Curiosity uh, on YouTube or Facebook, or Twitter. Um, and Dan, how about you? I am Objectively Dan at, wait, at Objectively Dan on Twitter. Uh, you can find my YouTube, the man, comma, Dan. And uh, if you're nice and you DM me, DM me on Twitter, I might add you on Facebook. Cool. Anthony? I didn't know that you could have a comma in your YouTube. Yeah, channel. I know. Fancy, That's huh? interesting. Yeah, uh, go to my YouTube channel this time. This will be good. Magnabosco210. I have several playlists. I'm looking for people to add captions in foreign languages. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, just check out a video. Share a video with a friend. Yeah. And other Dan. Yeah, so you can find me at Twitter, at idansimpson. Also here on YouTube, at idansimpson. And uh, yeah, that's the best place you could find me. Oh, I'm Periscope right. too. Periscope, at idansimpson. I've... Uh, dozens hundreds of, uh, of of interviews uh, that you could check out there too and we'll include we, we will include links to everybody's content uh channels and such in the show notes yep all right thanks guys another great show see you later thank you street epistemology is a technique by dr peter bogosian in his book a manual for creating atheists and his android and ios app atheos